Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and the real killer is the friends we've made along the way. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I sort of enjoyed Ghostface Takes Montreal. <laughs> oh man okay that's gonna make a lot more sense when you listen to our review and no jeff- it makes it, it total sense yeah. <laughs> and jeff canada the big apple more like the big stabble because all the stabbing yeah i guess a lot of stabbing, okay. yeah. a lot of stabbing. <laughs> i am dying <laughs> they can't all be I'm winners de- i am dead that that is, <laughs> that is it's okay. It's okay. It's just a pleasure. That movie. is literally one of the worst things I have ever heard on this podcast. You're and I welcome. was here for our review of Avatar: The Way of Water. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, those are, I guess, vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast we're going to be reviewing Scream Six. Uh, we got Ari- Ariel Fisher to join us for that review. It's going to be a really fun time. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, uh, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast. We're uploading new videos there every single week. Do check them out. It's a lot of fun. This week on the podcast, uh, we're going to talk about some film news, specifically the Oscars. We got some what we've been watching for you, and then we're going to conclude with our Scream 6 review. Um, but uh, before we get to that, I want to mention that over on patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can support this podcast and make sure uh, we keep going long into the future. Uh, we are going to be doing some spoiler-filled discussion about Poker Face and The Last of Us, both shows which had season finales this last week. So look forward to that over at patreon.com slash film podcast. We've had a lot of great chats over there on patreon.com slash film podcast recently. Uh, obviously had uh, our fun chat with uh, Scott Cease recently, as well as some rewatches of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the Magic Mike franchise. So uh, a lot of great stuff over on patreon.com slash film podcast. Okay. But first, the Oscars, folks, are Super Bowl. Uh, I watched the entire thing last night. I actually live streamed uh, on YouTube, my wife and myself watching the Oscars and reacting to it um, for around four and a half hours. We we <laughs> watched and we're joined, we're joined by around 5,000 people. So thanks for, for everyone who joined us and, and watched along with us. It was a lot of fun, very emotional to see what happens. But the big news, you know, the big news, I know this is on everyone's mind. Okay, so I'm just going to like just say what everyone's thinking about which is that we can now definitively say that a former listener of the film cast has now won best director and best picture at the Academy Awards. It's incredible. Right? It's, it's an incredible amazing. thing. All you it's have a- to do to win best picture is stop listening to the film cast. <laughs> <Is> start, <laughs> there's just two things. Start listening to the podcast and, and then stop. subsequently stop. As you yeah. become more successful. As you become you more know. successful. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, but seriously, it is, it is really incredible that uh that a, a former listener now has achieved basically the greatest honor uh that the United States entertainment industry has to offer in my opinion. Uh, well and now now that he has peaked come on back and listen to the show again. <laughs> now that you've achieved you you can be the prodigal son of the podcast. Come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing else to gain by yeah. not listening. There's you know what nothing I'm saying? nothing else to gain. That is absolutely correct. 
but a huge congratulations to the Daniels. Huge congratulations to everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I, I think I'm the only... Devinger, did you watch the whole thing? Do you watch most of it? I watched of it? the whole thing, yeah. Oh, you watched the whole thing? Okay, so uh, I'll start by saying that this year's Oscars was surprising because it was actually a pretty good broadcast that didn't have a lot of terrible things happen during it. Um, I, I thought I it was know. like, a, I, I felt like there was a sniper rifle pointed at Jimmy Kimmel's head. You know, <laughs> just like nothing, nothing can go wrong. Jimmy Kimmel, you're Jimmy, the host. Keep it in line. Jimmy Kimmel was completely safe right down the middle. Yeah. Very Jay Leno style. Very like nothing controversial. You know, he, he made a, a bunch of comments about the slap, but like nothing that Which, didn't feel Academy way, approved. I predicted that at the time. Yes. That was going to happen. One year later, I said, we're going to be joking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed which, to like taking it seriously as yeah, a terrible which thing. Which now it right, seems yeah. obvious, but at the time, everybody yeah. was aghast and and clutching their pearls about it mm-hmm. to the point where it just didn't seem like it could ever be uh, humorous. But that's just our culture. There's nothing, there's nothing that is so uh, transgressive that it won't be just just cultural fodder in a in a year's time. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's we're, we have a whole generation now of people who weren't alive when 9-11 happened. And, you know, right. now there's like memes about 9-11 now, you know. And so uh, so certainly like uh, it, he made a bunch of jokes about it. And I think they were actually pretty good jokes, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, no, nothing horrifying happened during the show. Uh, um, the the original song performances were actually awesome in my from my perspective. Rihanna was there. Uh, Lady Gaga showed up, even though it was initially reported that she wouldn't. I overall thought this was a pretty good telecast. It felt like a throwback. It felt like a, a reminder of days from yesteryear when these telecasts were not travesties. Um, that said, Devinder, what do you think of the overall broadcast? I mean, it was fine. Like I, I was, I was watching. <laughs> exactly, it. it was fine. That's was a, that's how I feel. Fine. About it. It I don't, I don't fine, know. At least there was nothing like truly special about it. It was weird that Disney basically took that moment <laughs> to to basically be a Super Bowl moment and show off the uh, the a Little Mermaid trailer. Yeah. So so yeah. Ha- about halfway through the ceremony, things ground to a halt. <laughs> As, stop! Uh, they, stop! We got something to tell you. They introduced something. They they did a very painfully extended uh, introduction for a trailer of the Little Mermaid. Now, here's the thing: I actually think we should have more trailers during the Academy Awards, not fewer. Sure, um, it should be more it, like the Super Bowl. We should it, be going it, to the Super Bowl for trailers. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, guys, I, but I believe I also said this uh, a year ago. Is uh, for years. Jeff Keighley was trying yeah, to make exactly, the Game yeah. Awards more like the Academy Awards, and now the opposite is happening. The Academy yeah. Awards wants to be more like the Game Awards. It was a world premiere. Yeah, yeah. it was a world yeah. premiere. You know, all, all it was missing was that guy's voice. World premiere. World premiere. <laughs> Xbox only. Xbox <laughs> exclusive. Um, console <laughs> exclusive. Anyway. Uh, it's in the yeah. game. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, it's weird. It's weird to see it in the Academy Awards, but I, I actually think for the Academy Awards to survive, it needs to do a better job of hyping up future movies. And, for sure. and you know, it also uh, yeah. needs to be easily accessible. How about that? Because mm, yeah. you know what I did last night? I uh, I, I unboxed an over-the-air HD <laughs> antenna, yeah. which I purchased the day after last year's ex- Oscars. <laughs> that's how, that's how like, driven I was to, mm-hmm. to set up this thing. It took me five minutes, but I just could not be bothered. I've been using one year. of those 
for quite a while to watch uh, yeah. NFL games. That's how I watch NFL games. Is it's a great thing. CBS Except, and NBC uh, and, yeah. If you want to be like a thing that people are talking about, you should, you should just be easily accessible. I know it's on ABC's site, but even then, like, you're saying why not live stream it on the internet, basically, right? Like, like, like yeah. um, so the Super Bowl technically was available to watch free for char, uh, you know, for free. You just had to use the Fox app on the Apple TV or like go to the website. Um, the Oscars is not that easy. And I feel like it's a really simple thing they could do to kind of keep the conversation going. Um, so there, there's that. Like every year I see people complaining, like, how do I watch this thing? What do I subscribe to? I see pirated links thrown around. I actually got a really good pirated link. And uh, that stuff has gotten really good, apparently. Um, but yeah, I, saw I, I, I did see a lot of yeah. complaints, Devendra, in my yeah. chat of people being like, where am I? Where, like people literally watching our live stream instead of the Oscars because yes. they couldn't access yes. the Oscars. Right. So. Um, so yeah, it was That's actually a very smart way to, to <laughs> catfish some, some viewers. There, yeah, so yeah. Good indeed. job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but overall guys, uh, so putting aside the broadcast itself, which mm-hmm. there was a couple of cringy bits, like, um, when he asked, you know, people in the audience, he did some crowd work, which is just awful. Um, the cocaine bear stuff I thought was pretty rough, but like overall it was a pretty solid broadcast is fine. Um, you know? They did yeah. this thing where, um, if there were multiple people winning an award, the mid, the second the second person started started speaking, the band would like blare it and play them off immediately. <laughs> well, and that felt well, just a little rude. After only, a point. only if it was poorly planned. Like there's some people who got up there. They have like mm-hmm. I think they were assigned 45 seconds. So uh-huh. sometimes someone got up there and would take like 10 seconds and then yeah, throw it yeah, over yeah. to the next person and they wouldn't play that person off. But if the first person's a fr- really loquacious son of a bitch. Then the second person never gets, and this is why. Here's the thing: every uh-huh. year this happens, Devinder. What you said happens. Yeah, yeah. And every year people don't practice, but I think it's probably bad luck to practice. Right? It is it's probably, probably bad luck. To practice. It's probably bad luck to say, "Here's the plan if we win." Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: um, no, it's not. That doesn't exist. <laughs> and also, and also, uh, you're going to embarrass yourself on the world stage, or it's going to be an unfortunate moment on the world stage if you don't practice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, putting aside the broadcast. What did we think of the awards? Obviously, the big story, everything, everywhere, all at once. Love it. Uh, winning, uh, you know, many of the major acting categories, <laughs> winning Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Picture. Big big night for Asians in general. Not mm-hmm. to not to one as well. Yeah, not so, to not to Asians one, everywhere. Best, best original song. It was awesome to see that happen as well. Uh, but everything, everywhere, all at once was our number one movie of 2022. Mm-hmm. We all loved it. What an unexpected journey for that movie i don't think any of us thought when we saw that movie this is definitely going to win best picture mm-hmm. um but it yeah. did and yet yeah. i i agree i I'm, couldn't be more happy couldn't couldn't be happier that that movie is is getting you know it's it's plaudits but zero surprises in that in that entire award ceremony zero zero surprises i will say there's one or two surprises yeah one or two surprises um but i i agree with you in the major categories very few actual surprises um here's a surprise that i think was a weird one okay guys uh the best score best score victory um best score went to all quiet on the western front which is a huge upset in my opinion yeah um because i mean i'm one of the all quiet on the western front defenders and I thought the score was one of the worst things about that movie. It's very anachronistic. It's like this kind of synthy, like, and it's like, and that movie takes place like a hundred years ago. So it's like, I every time the score happened, it ripped me out of the reality of the film. I really um, do, like the so many people in the academy saw All Quiet on the Western Front, a movie which dropped on Netflix with like very little. 
like very little fanfare. There you was know, a good 30 minutes during the ceremony when All Quiet on the Western Front went on a tear. Yes. Yeah. It was, and people started like speculating, oh my gosh, is could this win best picture tonight? Um, that quickly got shut down. But there yeah. was a C- good cinematography. Yeah, it won cinematography, best uh what else uh did it best production design was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and best international film. So it won like four Oscars last night. And it was there was a good thirty minutes when it was like all quite on the western front might take. But Jeff, it, um yeah other than that and maybe like one or two other awards, very few upsets. Um, anything you were particularly happy with or, or not happy with, Jeff Kanata? Well, I, I I just said it. I mean, I, I'm very pleased that the movie that I believed was the best movie of last year, and I think we all, and obviously we all did, um, is getting deserved praise. Um, but, it, you know, it's a, it's just a weird, it's a weird situation with the Academy Awards where it is the last award of the season yeah. And there has been a pattern that has been established up to this point. And so everything feels very anticlimactic. It it, mm-hmm. it did not feel like the coronation of that film. It felt like that film had already been coronated and this was just a foregone conclusion. Uh, and that's unfortunate. I, I don't know how you fix that problem, but I think that that is a, is a bummer. It, I am as much as I enjoy these people and wanted to see them get the, their spotlight and and have their speech. I watched all the speeches afterwards uh, on YouTube, and I was pleased to see the emotion and the genuine heartfelt moments. I, I, those are what you come to those award ceremonies for: is yeah. to see uh, deserving people um, have a, a lovely moment of recognition. However, there was no part of me that felt like I needed to tune in. I I, I just mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like an essential essential viewing. That may say more about me than it does about the awards, but I think it's a little bit of both because, you know, when I was younger, the Academy Awards was essential viewing. I, mm-hmm. I would not miss it. I would schedule my entire weekend around it. And I don't, I think the, I have changed obviously, but I also think the, the economy of Hollywood has changed. The, the sensibilities well, of the award show has changed. The I'm entire- going to put this out there, Jeff. I'm going to put this out there. I think that uh, social media is, is a big part of it because I think yeah. when it, in the pre-Twitter, I don't think I even knew what the SAG Awards were. You know, like I might have seen mm. like one tiny mention of SAG Awards. Now, like people are live tweeting every single one of these things or there's a big wave of publicity for every, the PGAs, the DGAs. Like I'm very f- aware of who's like winning all these awards now. Mm. And so it does make it feel like a lot of the stuff that happened last night was a foregone conclusion. Um, but I, I do think it's also part of the like the information economy is different now than yeah. when it was when you know the Oscars was the only entertainment event that I watched every year basically maybe right. that and the Emmys you know yeah. now like yeah. I know the winners of who I know who won the SAG Awards and the indie the indie Independent Spirit Awards we have like, too much know. information yeah we have too it's, much it's information a- now so but um, anyway fair, fair point Jeff uh, I do think Kiwi Kwan winning for best supporting actor wonderful uh, michelle yo winning for best actress like those Incredible. were all amazing very wonderful e- emotional yeah things and, and particularly for kiwi kwan it's like um you know here's a guy who's been hoping for decades decades three mm-hmm. decades that he would still be able to be part of the entertainment industry comes back in such a big way um and michelle yo like winning is beautiful for very different reasons because she has been in the entertainment industry for decades, mm-hmm. but hasn't really been recognized in the United States very much. Right. And, uh, and 
to have both of them win in one evening was just really, really emotional. It's, it's beautiful. Like yeah. that movie was on such a terror that I think the wrong actress won for best supporting actress Agreed. of the in that movie. Like Agreed. that's how dominant everything everywhere was. Like I think Stephanie Shu, her yeah, her she, performance was much stronger Agreed. in everything everywhere. Agreed. But also well, it's even a in lifetime that category. achievement award. Yeah, kind of a yeah. lifetime achievement award. Yeah. It kind of is. But even then, okay, Angela Bassett. Like Angela mm-hmm. Bassett. I think, especially with her work in Wakanda Forever, like I, I do think she kind of earned that a little more. But yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's just funny. Like that's how dominant everything everywhere was. Like it can be multiple entries in a category. You know? Yeah, just insane. Uh, yeah, go, well, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, go. Uh, <laughs> another thing that I eh, probably shouldn't say, but I. At this point, you know, uh, in my life, uh, I I don't think it's bitterness. It may be. Maybe a little bitterness. (laughs) But uh, Uh uh, the old uh, don't give up on your dreams thing Mm -hmm. that everybody says. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Let's stop with with the don't give up on your dreams thing. Because, listen, it's a self-selecting... Self-selecting There's, group of people that say yeah. don't give up on your dreams. It's the people for whom everything worked out great. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. If you say don't give up on your dreams, it means the fact that you didn't give up on your dreams worked out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there is a thing called survivorship bias, mm-hmm. right? I think that, yes. that is a real thing that exists where you know the people who actually made it are the ones who... Uh, end up saying that and, and yeah. then it ends up but kind also, of skewing, what, skewing will, what's possible. Will, yeah. will anything happen if you actually do just give up? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, yes, not everybody who, um, you know, dreams to achieve things will actually achieve them. But you know what? If you, if you, if you don't dream at all, if you don't try, I don't know. I don't know if anything's going to happen. Then you're just then you have to be blessed. You're walking down the mall one day and somebody thinks you look cool. That happens. That happens mm-hmm. for some people, but that's not everybody. You know, that's a far rarer occurrence. Well, we have a few more thoughts on the Oscars, but first let's take a break and uh, talk about one of our sponsors. We'll be right back with more Oscar talk here on the Filmcast. This episode of the Filmcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, getting married having kids has been a journey of self-discovery for me. Really, being around someone else 24 hours a day, seven days a week, being responsible for other lives, (laughs) you learn a lot about yourself, about the things that get to you, the things that make you happy, the things that are challenging. And getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because... We're always growing and changing. I'm not the same guy I was before I got married and had kids. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are now. It has certainly benefited me to have someone I can talk to, that I can work through my own issues with. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And switching therapists can happen anytime, for no additional charge. It's all about you finding the right match. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com 
slash filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Uh, so, yeah, I agree survivorship bias is kind of a thing, but that said... It is. It's. I, I. I believe everything you're saying, Jeff. Like, I, I. I think there's plenty of stories of people who like try for thirty years and mm-hmm. end up penniless, and no one knows them, and they. That's, die mo- alone. that's most like that, of the people who that, try. Most of the people. <laughs> yeah. That happens a that's lot. That's why too. that's terrible advice. Don't give up mm-hmm. on your dreams. I would say. I would. The best advice is yes, try as hard as you can <laughs> until it doesn't make any sense to try anymore. But it doesn't have the same ring, does it? Does not. Yeah. It certainly does not. Yeah. yeah. Um couple of other surprises from last night well i, I do want to say a24 completely dominated mm-hmm. last night. it's it's incredible yeah. a24 a studio that did not exist 12 years ago they dominated last night. i think they won nine oscars they won every single major acting category which i think is the first time that's happened mm-hmm. uh that one studio has taken every single major acting category um three for everything everywhere all, all at once brendan fraser also won for the whale um Big night for the uh, for people who started in Sino Man, by the way. Um, two of which won <laughs> acting uh, Oscars. Sorry, Polly Shore. Yeah, uh, he's, in that, he's in that movie, right? I felt I felt bad for Polly Shore. I was like, I hope Polly Shore is doing okay. There's there's um, a whole. I think Nathan Rabin did a did a piece on going to one of his live shows. Uh, mm, seems oh, like it's going still, rough for Polly Shore out there. Yeah. There are uh, there are a couple of movies that won one Oscar. Um, Top Gun Maverick won one Oscar for best sound. Uh, and Avatar The Way of Water won uh, Best Visual Effects. I, I, I guess to say, Jeff, if you go watch the tape, uh, which I'm not asking you to do, but I, you know, I broadcast my whole reaction, I would have lost my shit if Avatar The Way of Water didn't win for yeah. Best Visual Effects. Me I was too. Like, that At is this clearly... point, I don't know what you think about Avatar, Dave. So. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I, am, I am, despite literally everything I think about the movie, which is that I don't think it's very good, uh-huh. the visual effects are like, groundbreaking yeah. they're incredible like uh, the movie is visual effect the entire mm, movie yeah so, yeah yeah so yeah. it's like it, it it's pushing the medium of cinema forward like i believed so much in the visuals and i was like if they don't give i literally said this in the broadcast like if they don't give avatar the way of water best visual effects what are we even doing here <laughs> yeah what even right. is the point of this right it's a travis shamakery yeah so they mm-hmm. did give it the visual effects it was nice to see uh, women talking also win for best adapted screenplay that was lovely to see as well um but a bunch of movies won zero Oscars. Yeah, uh, that's so weird. Elvis won zero Oscars. Tar won zero Oscars. Banshees I do of feel Inishirin. a bit bad for Kate Blanchett because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, she's a perennial uh, uh, contender in this category. But like any other year, I think she walks away with it. And uh, it just, you know, I I love that Michelle Yeoh won. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's a towering performance in Tar. It's towering. Mm-hmm. She's so good. Uh, but she already, she also already has two Academy Awards, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. But, so she's yeah, already been recognized. I, yeah, I, yes. Listen, I'm not, listen, I wouldn't <laughs> take it away from Michelle Yeoh. And any, yeah. But I do yeah. think it, it, it's a performance that I, I think there's probably fewer people that have seen Tar than have seen everything everywhere all at once at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it yeah. would be nice to, I think people should see her performance in that. It's amazing. Also, Banshee's of Inishirin won zero Academy yeah. Awards. Also kind yeah. of a bummer. I actually think Carrie Condon, who was nominated for Best Actress in Supporting Role, like pro- probably honestly deserved that award more than Jamie Lee Curtis and everything every role at once. But yeah. as you said, the you know the award is often given for a body of work. 
Um, want to give a shout out to Ruth Carter, who won Best Costume Design for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, a very Love talented it. person who's been working in the dis- industry for decades. She's also the uh, first black woman to win two Oscars ever wow. in history for any category, uh, which is both impressive uh, yeah. that she accomplished that and also shows you uh, how few black women have been honored. The, the numbers are awful. Michelle Yeoh is the second woman of color to win Best Actress. Yeah, and so, the first Asian woman, I believe. Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, it, it's uh, so, anyway. Just wanted to point that out as well. And uh, I think that's mostly it in terms of uh, stuff that I wanted to mention. Oh, uh, well, there's one other thing I want to mention, but I'll talk about it during what we'll be watching. But any anything else about the Academy Awards, Devendra? Any <laughs> other thoughts on on? What went down last night? I, I think they really need to think about accessibility. Like, if they want to be the you know in mm-hmm. the cultural conversation, like it's not that hard. We have the technology to stream this thing. I don't know what the deal is with Disney. Like, there's probably some exclusivity, but uh, there's we have so many ways to stream this thing now. Let's uh, let's modernize it. I think that would like bring the show forward quite a bit. I will say that uh, they did a pretty good job, like uploading their, uh, the clips mm-hmm. to YouTube, like right at, like during the ceremony, they're uploading clips to YouTube. Um, it's so good. it's not like they're just completely stuck in the past or anything yeah. like that. You know, shout out to the people but, running all those pirated streams. I was able to keep tabs on the show <laughs> while I was like out taking out the garbage and stuff. So that was pretty mm-hmm, great. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm, I do think it's a, a good idea that they seem to have stuck to this notion of having Lady Gaga perform every year. Yeah. Very smart. <laughs> Very Lady Gaga, who appeared on the red carpet or the tan carpet, what color? I believe they're calling it champagne. That, yeah. that she appeared on the Perse- carpet, the full Prosecco. dress, full yeah. dress, full makeup, everything. Took it all off for her performance <laughs> to be stripped down in the t-shirt. Put it all back on for the end of the show. Okay, Lady Gaga's a trooper. That's some Amazing. Lady Gaga shit right there. Yeah. You know well, not, really? not only that, fucking filming Joker two. Yeah. Uh, and then coming back just to perform perform this this. Uh, this song for us, and by the way, it, I thought it was a great version of that song too. Mm-hmm. Like, Incredible! It was kind of a like a heavily piano acapella version of "Hold My the, Hand." The only the only thing is, uh, what was up with the camera operator? Because I think the <laughs> the command was, "Let's get, let's keep going, keep zooming, rack in, rack in." Can I see up her nostril yet? Go, keep going. Well, I further, think they were like, further. "Is she wearing makeup? Is I, she?" <laughs> I didn't I didn't mind it because most of the other original songs were filmed kind of mid mm-hmm. to wide angle, and so you know they they want to mix it up a little bit. Hey, let's have this be really intimate. Let's and close. be artistic. It, but, it was just uh, really funny. To look, see. I understand. I understand. People don't like seeing people's faces up close. It makes people uncomfortable. Um, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Yeah, um, not, not to not to the live performance. Okay, but you could tell yeah. like the the editing of the movie really makes that song hit better too. Well, all, yeah. Also, they didn't have the the people from the yeah. movie singing yeah. it. Um, but it was it did electrify the the ceremony <laughs> in my opinion. So, uh, but yeah, it, very little drama, very little, very few travesties, Travis mockeries, no huge mistakes. Uh. Yeah, overall, it was like a, a pretty good ceremony and and a lot of really good movies got awards. Mm-hmm. So I also love that Holly Berry was able to present the the Oscar to Michelle Yeoh. Like that yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which uh, beyond, you know, beyond um, Chris Rock's comedy special, that's another thing the slap gave us is <laughs> uh, if if Will Smith hadn't slapped Chris Rock last year, probably he would be the one presenting that award. Uh, okay, if great. my uh, memory serves. So. Uh, so yeah, we got to have that instead. The, the slap has given us so much in our, in our culture, guys. <laughs> um, anyway, 
I'm being facetious, of course. But yeah, I, I thought it was perfectly fine and and uh, honestly, sometimes pretty good. Like Rihanna performing at the Oscars. That's awesome. And uh, I have no idea if people will actually tune in for these things again, but it, it kind of feels like if people don't tune in for this version of it, you, you know, then the whole thing needs to be completely rethought. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like this is probably close to the best of what we can get for this ceremony. You know what I mean? Like... Um, just, just give it to Jeff Keeley, like Jeff is saying. Just, just let, let that's what that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Is like, is is if people don't tune in for this, then it's like you you really need to rethink what it's going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Because if this is like a version of this thing that is kind of like not the best, but like a pretty solid representative right. of what an Oscars broadcast can be. Um, so we'll see. I, as of this recording, we don't. I don't know what the ratings are for it, um, but I hope they were good. And mm-hmm. uh, and if I not, so. I mean, I hope they, they retool it in a big way. Because I, I feel like they got to do go five ahead. more just to get to hundred. You know, you can't mm-hmm. stop before hundred. Yeah, stop at hundred. Yeah. You know what? Like the, the the Super Bowl is like the broadcast to beat every year, right? And I feel like they have modernized that thing so well. Um, the Oscars should be the Super Bowl of movies, right? It, that's what we think of it as. They should copy all those digital strategies, strategies mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the Oscar, the Super Bowl also, I guess, only available through that app. So you'd be happy if it was free through an app, right? I think. Free, I mean, so technically it was free on the ABC site. And some people said through the ABC app, but I think you still had to like log in with your cable credentials. So mm. that's the thing. Make it easy. Make it easy to watch. That's all we need. You got to get DraftKings in there. Yeah. Bet yeah. on those best picture noms. <laughs> Indeed. All right. uh, Let's get to what we've been watching. A few things we want to talk about today. First of all, I tried to catch up on a lot of Oscar stuff in the last week. And one of the movies I watched was Navalny, which was nominated and eventually did win for Best Documentary at the Oscars. Um, Navalny is about Alexei Navalny, and it's a documentary on HBO Max right now. Uh. This movie is awesome, guys. This is I, I was rooting for this movie to win Best Documentary. It did win Best Documentary. Uh, it is a documentary about this dissident, but it's basically a thriller. Like, even though it's a documentary, it's basically a thriller because, um, you know, very. I, I will not give away kind of what happens at the quote-unquote end of this documentary, but uh, it's it has been widely known that Navalny uh, was... There was an attempted assassination on... Navalny, who is one of Putin's uh, opponents. And this documentary kind of goes into the journey to uh, uncover who was behind it. And the footage that they were able to get is just absolutely astonishing. It's just mind-blowing. There's a scene in this movie that I'm not even going to say what it is, but it is one of the most wild scenes I've seen in any movie in the last five years. It's just astonishing that they were there when this stuff was filmed. And Devendra, there's a lot of stuff about data privacy here that I think you would find really interesting because it's basically- I can't can't wait to check this out because honestly, anything around Russia right now or even China and like cyber crimes, um, it is very, very interesting stuff that we're not paying close enough attention to. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting portions of the movie is, um, there is a, uh, basically a nerd with a computer uh-huh. In this movie, who is a critical part of the movie, he also was invited onto stage last night at the Oscars. Um, but he is like so cool because he he <laughs> there's a part of the movie where they're like trying to figure out like okay they think that somebody tried to assassinate Navalny. How mm-hmm. would you even figure that out? Like who did that? Like this movie walks through the steps of how you'd even do that, and 
um, this nerd kind of put it together using like by buying a lot of data on the dark web uh, or through illegal sources. And it's like really amazing. I, I'm classic I, nerd. I'm not even saying like the way they explain it is, is mind blowing. I'm not even saying what it is now. Uh, I will say that Navalny himself uh, is a figure of controversy. He has associated with uh, figures on the far right. And he is not necessarily, he is anti-Putin, but he is not necessarily pro-Ukraine. Right, right. And I right. do think that is worth noting because I think people think they're one and the same, but they're not. And uh, I, I do not have enough access to the history of the geopolitics to really provide a cogent explanation. I'll just say that like this movie doesn't really dive into that in any meaningful way. Like it doesn't really dive into his politics, really, in my opinion. It's more about um, this this kind of quest to figure out what's going on with uh, his assassination, but it's really well put together. I've seen four out of the five best picture, uh, best documentary nominees, and this is my favorite. So, uh, and I loved all those other movies too. So like really strong crop of docs this year. Uh, but I'd recommend you check out Navalny, you know, with some caveats about Navalny's politics, but the movie itself is really well put together. It's on HBO max. The movie's name is Navalny. Finally, I had a chance to uh, check out Michelle Yeoh's series over on Criterion Channel. So Criterion Channel put, I think they put together a, a series of movies called Michelle Yeoh's A Badass or something like that. Um, and it's like, I think seven, eight or nine of her movies from uh, a while ago uh, throughout her career. So there's like, there's movies that everyone knows like Police Story 3, aka Super Cop. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was recently covered on a film cast after dark, was on there. Um, but there's also other movies like Stunt Woman, Yes, Madam. And mm -hmm. uh, one that I want to shout out is Royal Warriors, which is freaking amazing. Like, if you want to see a Michelle Yeoh kicking ass movie from like decades ago, you watch Royal Warriors. Th movies like this are why she is a success, you know, why she is such a legend. Um, this is a, the kind of movie where you feel like there was a complete wanton disregard for human life during the making of this movie. I right? feel like, like that's many of her movies, but it just many, Super Cop alone. But it's, yeah. like, it's like, I'm shocked someone didn't die during this. Uh -huh. Like, if you told me someone died making this, I would not be surprised. Right? Like, Super Cop, she, uh, it's the motorcycle onto the train. She rides but also a motorcycle onto a train. In falling off the train onto the windshield of, <laughs> of a car, of, the, yeah. of a car, which <laughs> in the credits, you can see how she fell off. Yeah. Several times. I, it was not off a train. It was off a truck. I think she off fell a off truck. onto, yeah, yeah, onto yeah. yeah. But but yeah. I mean, it. She. I think she was grievously injured during the course of making Supercop. But Jeez. in Royal Warriors, she fights a man who is wielding a chainsaw. Love it. Uh, I mean, it's a, it. it's a, there's an amazing act, like mind blowing. Like yeah. if if Royal Warriors were released today in like a different with like you know in English language, but it's like the exact same movie. Um, you would say it's one of the best action movies of the year. Mm -hmm. Like the, that's the is, one with the young Hiroyuki Sonata too. So I, I think need to check correct. that one out. Yeah, yeah, it's the action scenes are just so ridiculous in this movie. The plot is ludicrous; it makes absolutely no sense. But the the action scenes are incredible um, and worth checking out. And I, I'm gonna I plan to check out. I think there's the Magnificent Wars. Well, still gonna look up that one, but um, really glad that Criterion is able to give us uh, a look into Michelle Yeoh's past as an amazing action heroine. And obviously, um, you know, uh, part of that was a, a strong part of the DNA of everything, every world all at once as well. So anyway, that is what I've been watching this week. Devendra, hit us up with a couple things you've been watching. Oh yeah, a few things. I've been watching uh, History of the World Part Two. 
which is a thing that exists. <laughs> kind of yeah. wild, right? Like I this I think the joke with the history of the world part one, which was released in uh, 1981, was like, oh yeah, the joke is like this won't actually be a series, right? This it's it's just like the title itself is a joke, and now they made good on that joke. And I am also here to say that uh, it's good. It's actually pretty pretty great, and I'm really happy to see that. Like I I'm a big Mel Brooks fan. I don't think. The first movie, not one of my like big faves of his, but there's some really notable stuff in there. This uh, is basically a series. It is a series of eight episodes on Hulu, um, giving you other views of things happening in the world. Like there's uh, Ulysses Grant and uh, Lincoln, there's Harriet Tubman. This this show gives you Shirley Chisholm, Shirley Chisholm as a, as Wanda Sykes as her, um, a great call out to like a very notable person in U.S. history too. So. It's really funny, but like any variety thing or any any sketch thing, I think like some are hit or miss. Some aren't as great as others, but I'm really digging it. Jeff, uh, how are you feeling this about this? Yeah, History of the World Part 1 is one of my favorite comedies mm-hmm. from my childhood. I, I loved that movie and I watched it so many. That and Spaceballs to me were like really... I watched them over and over and over as a kid. I don't know why History of the World Part 1... <laughs> It was on. It was being replayed quite a bit. At least I, from what I, I, I had it on VHS. My dad had yeah. a recording of it on VHS, and I would watch that movie all the time. I thought <laughs> I think it made up a lot of my comedic sensibilities. Mel Brooks in general, but yeah. specifically Spaceballs and History of the World Part One were the Mel Brooks movies that I gravitated. Like I, I think I was probably too young to watch uh, uh, Blazing Saddles, and it, it, but History of the World Part One has a lot of risque stuff in it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but I absolutely adored adored it. I mean, Madeline Kahn in that movie is amazing. There's so much. It's there's really so fun. many yeah. scenes that I reference to this day. You know, um, I'm a I'm a stand up philosopher. You're a bullshit <laughs> artist. You know, um, Jeff. And, we know it's good to be king. We get it's it. It's good to be yeah. the king. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, the, when this got announced, I couldn't believe it was actually happening, and I also couldn't believe that it would be good. Mm-hmm. And you are absolutely right, Devendra. It's not just good. It is a worthy successor to the original. I mean, it somehow manages to have exactly the same sensibility, the same ridiculousness and sort of smart stupidity that I often love in, in wacky comedies. And I mean, it's got Mel Brooks introducing each set section of the movie. Of the, I, say, I say movie, because it feels like a movie. This yeah, was a what yeah. like a four or five night, a four night event where two episodes a night. I've I've watched all of them, and it does feel like just an extended movie. It feels mm-hmm. like one thing. Uh, you know, it, the movie is is a bunch of sketches. And the thing that was always so crazy to me about History of the World Part One was that you you would think it would sort of go chronologically. Uh, through time, you know, (laughs) skip over big swaths, fine. But you would think that structurally they would make it just move through time sequentially, but it bounces back and forth. It picks up things later. It goes back to a, a, a time period that we saw earlier in the movie. It's so weird and audacious that way. And history world part two retains that where we have yeah. these established sections these these time periods and often just like in the first movie a lot of the same actors are playing different parts in different sections of the movie and we go back and forth we return to uh to these time periods and and see ne- the next segment so good. Some- the story of judas as curb 
is oh, amazing. Oh, so funny. Pitch perfect. Nick Kroll and uh, and J.B. Smoove in there, too. Yeah, J.B. So. Smoove as J.B. So Smoove, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nick Kroll basically is doing the Mel Brooks mm-hmm. role from the first movie. Mel Brooks is like the central character in many of the sketches in the first movie. And Nick Kroll kind of serves that function in this one. He, he, you know, he plays the... Uh, the 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 Jewish guy who's always sort of out of uh, you know not doesn't know what's going on around him and he does it very very well I think he's a worthy successor to Mel Brooks which is uh, you know tall uh, high praise indeed it's very very big shoes to fill um, but you know so many people are are great in it I was laughing my ass off at this show and I just couldn't believe that they nailed the tone and yeah. the irreverence and the sketches are actually really funny and really transgressive and really clever um there's a great um <laughs> there's a great sequence with uh kumail nanjiani where he's do- <laughs> he's doing the first the first revision of the uh of the kama sutra which he was doing the kama supra <laughs> which is like sex positions paired with bowls of soup and it's the stupidest idea, <laughs> but they stick with it for so long, and it's exactly that thing it's I always good. talk about. It's pretty oh, we good. Talk, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we talked a little bit about it last week or the week before, where sometimes something you, you you stick with it for long enough that it becomes funny over time, right? It's or it becomes so good over time. Fucking funny, where he goes through all of the sex positions and why this kind of soup is paired with it. <laughs> it's so funny, and it's exactly my uh, my sensibility of like. That smart stupidity, where it's like it—it it is mm-hmm. incredibly smart, but fundamentally such a dumb idea. But committed to a hundred percent, and you know, and then he goes through all of it at the end. That people are like, you know, maybe we should drop the soup element. He's like, the soup is the whole thing. <laughs> it's so so funny. But I mean, that's just one section. There's so many uh, moments that I was laughing out loud and and loving it. And and I just I dared not hope that this legacy sequel <laughs> could actually work and it does it's great fun and at the end uh just like in the movie just like in the first movie uh they say like here's some scenes from you know later on <laughs> yeah uh, famously in that one was like hitler on ice and stuff um but uh it, he say melbrook says you know from uh history of the world part two uh season two and i'm genuinely hoping it happens you know i want more of this it's it's really really fun. It's oh, really so you, you, well, you watched the entire thing already, Jeff. Oh yeah, I watched all oh. of it, dude. It's, wow. it's eight twenty six minute episodes. It's super wow. easy and breezy. Yeah. yeah, nice, nice. Uh, well, I'm glad you both liked it. I've heard very mixed things so far about this one, but it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, you have to be open to very dumb. Yeah, <laughs> embrace the stupid. Embrace the stupid. Yeah, but I, mean, I love Gruber that stuff. is one of my favorite movies. You know? And we so, haven't even yeah, talked about the Gruber TV show. You know, which is a thing that has been on Peacock forever. So I, I think yeah. I mentioned it a long time yeah. ago, during a what we've been watching, but yeah, the the, the TV show is awesome. The, the MacGruber mm-hmm. TV show is excellent. So I think you, there, I think you gotta you gotta try this, Dave. If you like okay. yeah. MacGruber and Kama Sutra stuff, made you laugh. I mean, you're you're on board. <laughs> there's like an yeah. old there's a sequence there's a, of an old timey like um you know biblical times uh, somebody in the in a men's room and they walk over and there's like a <laughs> there is a man standing there. As the blow dryer to dry your hands off, who just blows on the hands? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's the kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's fun, dude. It, I, the I, Roman I, soldiers I, are cops. The row row. So yeah, good. so good. Totally, it tickles me, dude. There is a there. They they do William Shakespeare. 
and it's a writer's room. And so they're like doing a send up of like TV writer's rooms where Shakespeare's mm-hmm. like taking all the credit for the writers. It's dude, it's really funny. I think I, it's good stuff. Well, uh, that's the history of the world part two and it's on Hulu and Jeff and Devendra, I'm sorry, Jeff and Devendra really liked it. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Uh, let's take a quick break for some sponsors. We'll be right back with more of what we've been watching right after this. All right, Devendra, what else have you watching this week? I got two more comedies for you, and they'll be pretty quick because I, I think we're going to be running a little long this episode. But <laughs> Ted Lasso season three is out, and I have seen the first four episodes, and uh, it's still Ted Lasso, baby. And uh, for better or worse, I'd say, like, I really enjoy the show. I, f- I find it to be really good comfort humor. I really like these characters. And season three is not really stretching things too much. There's the addition of a new character, um, a new member who's like a big hotshot soccer player and everybody's trying to get him and he's trying to he's going to be the new like centerpiece of the team and a you know big, bold new personality. But beyond that, I don't, not much is actually changing in Ted Lasso and I'm totally fine with that. I like hanging out with these characters. I think the show is just still really funny. I find the like sort of referential humor uh, into pop culture is still really good too. There's some great pulls here. So I am loving Ted Lasso season three. And uh, if you've liked the show so far, I think uh, you'd probably be down with it. If you find Ted Lasso grating and annoying, uh, this season is not going to change your mind <laughs> at all. All right. I've heard great things about season three and it is cool that they're ending it in season three. You know, that they're, they're kind of like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is, this is where the story is going to end. And uh, it sounds like, they have a, a specific arc they want to they want to convey. So Ted Lasso season three available on Apple TV Plus. Is it available now? Is it streaming right now? It's uh, yeah, the first episode is streaming now. Got I believe. it. Mm-hmm. What else have we watching, Devendra? I also checked out uh, Atsuko Okatsuka's comedy special from HBO Max, The Intruder, and I'm watching this because my co-host on the Engadget podcast, Sherlyn, uh, recommended it to me, and it's really good. Just want to say that after we talked about the Chris Rock special, where I felt a little let down by his humor and where he is and his sensibilities. I think Atsuko Akatsuka is hilarious. Like she is, um, she has a very like specific style of humor. It's it's not. I think she's just genuinely funny, and without being like super offensive to anybody, it's about the the overall story here is about how somebody um, basically was intruding on their backyard and how she and her husband kind of dealt with it. And I think that all is very funny. It's very human, and she talks about like how. Yeah, how she deals with strangers, um, her her family life and everything. I think it's just really, really funny. And one thing I've started doing, um, I'm at a point where I'm still like holding my son, Alexander, while he naps occasionally. I wish he would just nap like 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 a child, like a normal child on his own. <laughs> but no, I gotta hold him. I gotta hold him sometimes. And sometimes I'm holding him for an hour or two. And comedy specials are pretty great because you can put it on your phone, have it in that little like pop-up window, mm-hmm. swipe it away when you don't need to and still like yeah. be like enjoying it. So I'm watching a lot of them that way and I think this one is genuinely hilarious. So check it out. That's Atsuko Okatsuka's The Intruder. Cool. And it's on HBO Max if I yes. recall correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the things we've been watching this week. And uh, Jeff, uh, we already talked about History of the World Part 2, so let's just get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly Plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug my free newsletter, Decoding Everything, which you can subscribe to for free at decodingeverything.com. Uh, I've been writing about Twitter, been writing about the fall of Twitter, been writing about uh, the Oscars. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I wrote a post about how the Oscars wasn't terrible this year, which is a nice surprise. Uh, check it out at decodingeverything.com. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. 
I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, we talked about Neuralink, that brain-computer interface company uh, that Elon Musk founded several years ago. It's in the news again because it, uh, the FDA reportedly denied human trials because uh, that company's uh, kind of a mess. They, they've killed um, a lot of pigs. They've reportedly killed uh, many monkeys and lots of animals as they test this stuff out. So we dive into this technology uh, with Andrew Tarantola from Engadget and uh, you know talk about like what, what it means to hook something up to your brain. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. I do an award-winning comedy science podcast, uh, and it is called We Have Concerns. Doing it for quite a long time now. Myself, Anthony Carboni, together. Uh, we talk about uh, interesting science stories that'll make you think, make you learn something, but you laugh along the way because we make the jokes and we have uh, fun with it. Uh, the latest episode, uh, I think, is a, is a particularly interesting one. It's all about uh, these scientists that have figured out the weight of a lot of really interesting things. The weight of all the wild animals on Earth. Which wild animal is the heaviest cumulatively? Uh, I think it would surprise you. You may not be able to guess. And how that relates to the, to the weight of all the things that humans have created and human beings in general. Uh, quantifying those things really kind of sheds some light on the impact we have had as human beings fascinating topic check it out at wehaveconcerns.com all right and of course i want to throw out a weekly plug for our patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast this week we'll be covering the season finales of poker face and the last of us with full spoilers um so check us out over there at patreon.com slash film podcast of course never support us if it in any way is financially challenging for you we never want anyone to do that you can always support us for free very easy to do that by leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts or uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, we would really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much to all of our patrons for making our podcast possible. Let's get to our review of Scream 6. I had this secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's going to keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of Scream 6. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. In the next installment... Of the Scream franchise, the survivors of the Ghostface killings leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. Joining us today for our review of Scream 6, she is a writer and editor whose work has appeared at sites like Fangoria, Slashfilm, Rue Morgue, and Shudder. Ariel Fisher, welcome back to the Filmcast. Thank you very much for woo, having me back. Woo. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Ariel, uh, obviously the Scream franchise is one that I think we've all really uh, had had our ups and downs with over time. You know, um, there's been some some good things and bad things about the franchise. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your feeling was heading into this entry in the series? My uh, standards were high and my expectations were low. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I was one of. I, f I felt like I was one of very few who was actually deeply disappointed with um, the fifth installment. Uh, so this instance, the sixth one was kind of, hmm, how are we going to, 
how are we going to go about things? And especially with the idea of heading into Manhattan and things being cha- different, you know, you're kind of getting that Jason takes Manhattan vibe. So what are we emulating here? What are we going for? So very kind of ee, unsure. <laughs> and what'd you end up thinking of the movie? My, my expectations were correct, <laughs> to put it mildly. I, <laughs> I, I so wanted to love it because the Scream franchise is probably one of my absolute favorite uh, favorites. Um, that and Halloween are pretty much up there. And I'm one of those people who actually really enjoys part three, although I can admit it is the weaker of them. But <sighs> this installment is lacking a lot of what makes Scream special. And it tries, it really does, but Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven are are a big shadow to to sit under. So it's it's I don't think I don't honestly I don't think they had much of a chance after what they did with the last one. But anyways, I will we'll get into that, I'm sure. <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, before I move on to Devendra's thoughts, like what what do you think made the Scream franchise special in your opinion? One of the things that it's often made fun of for is its meta commentary on horror movies and culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that really is a big part of what makes it so special. And also really hard to emulate. So there's this expectation that this thing that you've seen made fun of in, you know, the scary movie movies or whatever is just, you know, oh, it's just the butt of a joke. It's not. It's extremely carefully crafted. It's very intelligently and meticulously put together. And the story and the how and the why of everything is very thoughtfully laid out. And this felt kind of like an emulation of it rather than the actual thing itself. Scream captured something kind of Mm -hmm. ineffable about horror at the time when it first came out in the 90s. And each installment thereafter was able to kind of tap into something else that made the genre important. This didn't do that. And that's what makes it stand Mm. out as a franchise. Got it. Well, I'm sorry it didn't live up to what you were hoping for, Ariel, but uh, curious to hear what the other guys thought. Devinder Hardawar, what were your thoughts on Scream 6? You know, uh, I kind of felt similar to you, at least going into this movie, Ariel, because my first thought is, didn't we just review Scream? Like, (laughs) last week, I (laughs) I felt like I just reviewed Scream. I don't know how this movie turned around so quickly. So when a movie, when that happens, that's usually not a great sign for a sequel. That's usually the studio being like, we need another one. The, the, you know, the iron's hot. Let's go. Let's crank out another one real quick. Um, So I was worried this would be sort of like a quick hit. And I I had fun with it, but I think there are a lot of problems. And uh, mainly because I really enjoyed the last one because it dared to try new things. It's like they knew they not only knew like that they were messing with like horror conventions, but they were messing with screen uh, scream conventions, you know, and to that self-awareness was kind of interesting in the last movie. Um, I, you know, I'm glad we did that rewatch because it was really great to revisit this whole franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded that scream four was really interesting and not like as beloved as it should have been at the time because it was doing so many things and was Russ Craven, like coming back and it felt like a new nightmare spin on it. So I found that interesting. And this movie is just very strange because it's like it does feel like they're LARPing 
are role playing a screen movie. Yeah. It's yeah. very weird how that happens. It's like, okay, you have a really interesting opening sequence, um, which does kind of change the game a little for, for this franchise. But then once you're in it, you're just in like, hey guys, it's it's like they all talk to each other. Hey guys, we're in a screen movie. Okay, okay, so I know what's up. We're gonna do this. We're all gonna gather. Oh my god, there's a killer. Yeah. Let's let's get the core friend group. Okay, one of you, you're all suspect. So I'm also gonna be suspicious while also being friendly with you. At some point, we're gonna gather together. At some point, we're all gonna be picked off. At some point, there's gonna be meta commentary about how w- this movie relates to the state of movies. Like, what are we? We're a legacy sequel. Okay, all bets are off. Um. It feels very strange because I think the last movie had a good balance of like introducing new things and playing with the old conventions. And this one just feels like they're kind of like going through the motions in a way. And um, it didn't feel particularly like thrilling or exciting. And another thing is that it just didn't feel like these characters actually lived in a world. Right. It felt like almost like a Rick and Morty sketch or something or something from a from like a, a parody of these movies. It was like, yes, I'm going to college now. <laughs> Look at me. I am a college student. I am your sister following you in college. We never actually see people do any. We never see people go to class. We never yeah. see, um, you know, uh, the main character, Sam. Uh, she's supposed to be doing two jobs and like really struggling to like be here for her sister. We never see any of that humanity of these characters. And I think the weakness of Scream 5 was those characters. Like a lot of the new kids didn't care for him. Mm-hmm. They they all died. Uh, there, there was like one good kill, the kid in the kitchen waiting for his mom. That was fun in the last movie. But I think the weakness of the last movie was the characters. And now they were like building more on those characters. And at least they kept the ones that were interesting. But I think at the same time, um, what is so great about Scream, what's so great about Wes Craven's movies is that there is a deep sense of psychology to them. Like he is always somebody who's thinking about, okay, how is this, how is the protagonist like dealing with this situation? What is the deeper psychological uh, elements going on to their character? Like what what are the themes of the story? And it feels like the theme of this movie is like, the theme is let's be a Scream sequel. So we're going to do a lot of things that have been done in Scream sequels and we're, it, it just felt weirdly repetitive. So there are twists and I think some of that is really, you know, kind of surprising. Um, so I think that just that part felt let down like a letdown for me. And also this movie is set in quote unquote New York City. And I don't mind <laughs> when other cities do this, but at least like at least give me something. New York City is more than one bodega and one subway car. It is? <laughs> go go to a location. Go to a street. Have ghost space in Times Square or something. Do something with this great like setup you gave for yourself. And um, well, it, it seems it's to that point, it seems very obvious they did not actually film in New York City. Yeah, they, like, they filmed in Montreal and everyone's yeah. talked about it. So I yeah. don't I don't hate it that a movie does that. Hey, Ghostbusters, uh, I think like a third of Ghostbusters is filmed in LA, like in you know, in backlot. So you can have the spirit of where you're trying to set this thing. And there's so much potential for bringing Ghostface into New York. Um, it just feels squandered here because it felt like, I think partially this movie felt rushed. It felt like they had to get the sequel out pretty quickly and they didn't really have the time or the care or maybe even the budget to actually get to New York for, for some things. So that just felt like a wasted opportunity because I do love a good horror movie, like actually set in New York, actually giving you a great sense of place. And this absolutely did not have that. So the way that Montreal feels like, um, you know, a fake New York at times, this feels like a fake screen movie. I still had fun with it. I just, I wanted more. All right. Devendra, not a huge fan of this movie. Jeff Kanata. I still said, liked it. Yeah. I still liked it. Just disappointed. So curious <laughs> what you thought about Scream 6. Well, Dave, uh, I guess you could say what I thought about Scream 6 is best summed up in the form 
of a limerick. It turns out that after spending five movies with people pretending to each be ghost face, even in a new place, it's hard to find a good ending. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Nice. Okay. Uh, and, and I should point out, by the way, we're going to be very non-spoilery in our main review, uh, but we will reveal things yeah. that are in the poster for the movie. So if you don't want to know what's in the poster. The font. You know, yeah. The font. Everything in the poster. The, cur- the like, kerning, you know. Yeah. The opening scene of <laughs> screen can't be spoiler materials. It's such, yeah. weird, it's such a weird thing. Yeah, the opening scene is kind of a spoiler. So yeah. like we're, we're going to try to avoid all of that. But yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Um, I also had uh, uh, some fun with this movie. I think there are great sequences in this yes. movie. Yes. I think there are some really strong sequences, like Edge of My Seat. Ooh, this is fun. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it. I think it falls apart at the end. I think the end is, is patently <laughs> ridiculous. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that the two of you both kind of talked about it as being this sort of LARPing of a, uh, of a Scream franchise. Because I feel like at this point... That's the kind of the theme of the movies. And it's not unique to this mm-hmm. one, but at mm-hmm. this point, like people assuming the mantle of Ghostface is kind of LARPing as Ghostface, right? It's yeah. some new person or people or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to be Ghostface yeah. this time. I, I would have I would have loved that sort of actual meta commentary, Jeff. Like, go cabin in the woods. Like, oh, there there is always a group in the woods and there's always something happening, you know, something like that. Right. But I, I think at, at a certain point, it sort of just, the logic of it just completely falls apart. And you, you, so even going into a screen movie, you have to, at this point, six, six installments in it, it just, it literally makes no sense that someone would attempt this thing again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> And, and, and then again, yeah. that's not unique to six. You know, that happens last time. And, you know, it's at a certain point, it's like, why are we doing what, what's the charade here? You know, um, and I think this movie accentuates that. And we'll get to why in, in spoilers. But I think it, it makes even less sense that anybody would take the time to do all the things you need to do to be Ghostface yet again. Uh, and fail yet again, you know, it is, it is, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun premise for this, this franchise. I like the fact that we have a slasher movie where the slasher is iconic and yet it's also a mystery of who it's going to be every time. I just don't think that the, the payoff this time was satisfying at all. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it wasn't, but there (laughs) are some fun I think there are some some fun sequences. I I, I had a, I had a good time with with some fun things, but I agree that being in Manhattan didn't. It, that was supposed to be like the we're really one upping this franchise yeah, by yeah. taking it into the city. Next level, baby. Yeah, all of this could have taken place in in <laughs> Woodsboro, and it wouldn't have mattered. Excuse <laughs> me, excuse you, Jeff. I don't think they have subways in Woodsboro. Yeah. They don't that have would, parks in which you can display the Manhattan skyline. Yeah, digitally. You know? That would not be the the subway <laughs> sequence would not be one of the sequences that I think was a great sequence in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I, yeah, um, you know, I I had a, I think like Devendra, I had some fun with it where I didn't feel like this was a waste of time. Like Sick, for example, mm-hmm, I thought Sick mm-hmm. was a complete waste of my time. The actual Kevin Williamson movie, the actual exactly. Kevin Williamson, the, movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't think you know he, he is necessarily the the key to making a great. Uh, slasher film. Yeah, uh, it was Wes Craven. It was I, always Wes Craven. Maybe it was. Yeah. I actually had a good time with this. 
to a certain extent, but at a certain point, it's also like, boy, you really have to stop caring about any of this movie's logic or mm-hmm. characters or into like at this point, we've abandoned most of our care. 99% of our characters were in a complete where so it bears very little resemblance to anything it used to be other than the premise, which also feels like it's collapsing under the weight of its own, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> ridiculousness. Well, uh, I'm just going to come out and be the most positive person on this podcast. Brave. So about, brave. about Scream 6. Um, yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. I, let's, let's say a few things, okay? Uh, and then I'd love to get the spoilers. First of all, um, it, it is known from the trailer and from the press and from the poster that Nev Campbell's character of Sydney is not in the movie. The reason she deserved for, her happy ending, David. The reason why would you for want to take that away with from Mark? Her? Remember Mark? <laughs> Remember that guy? The reason for that is because um, Nev Campbell does not believe she was offered an amount of money in accordance with how much she contributed to the franchise. Yeah, more that, power to her. That yeah. sucks. Like that sucks that they didn't give her enough money to do yep. that. To 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 she she talked about how she didn't want to walk onto set every day and feel undervalued. Like very understandable and she's like if i was a man and had been the protagonist of five hit you know movies that grossed like billions of dollars um i would be offered more money than i was offered for scream six completely support nev campbell whatever she wants to ask for um and it sucks that they didn't give her that the money that she felt she was owed i do think that this movie plot wise to the extent it has a plot does benefit from yeah, not being like trying to move on to the new crew. It probably um, didn't need Sydney at right, all. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like it's because it, 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 otherwise it would have felt like completely tied to the past. And Hard like, disagree. Hey, if, if you want, if you want this franchise to like even have a chance, even have a chance of moving on and evolving, yeah, you need to bring in a whole new cast. You could have opinion. Sydney and her family going to a Broadway show, and Ghostface <laughs> appears. Again. Actually, honestly, be great. if they'd yeah, had that would like be really funny, if the opening had been, you know, Ghostface Sydney, on Broadway, goes Sydney goes to Ghostface on Broadway and gets killed, and like do that. Yeah, yeah. kill her off, stab, stab. Yeah. but not even necessarily yeah. like actually stab, and not yeah. necessarily like deflator mouse or something, you know, Batman esque. But like, let's go yeah. with like just anything on Broadway, <laughs> and like just like there are so many different ways that this could have been interesting, and all of it was squandered, all of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. She's sitting in the theater and the, the thing's about to start and the lights go down and there's a conspicuous empty seat next to her. And then uh, you hear, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me and then Ghostface sits down next to her. And she's like, yeah. Ah, well, I mean, and then, there, there could have been, there could have been a, yeah, go ahead, th- Ariel. Think about how they did it in Scream 2. Like it doesn't have to be in the mm-hmm. theater per, per se, but it can also play on that. It can also play on this issue of kind of class and accessibility <laughs> yeah. to media, especially after the pandemic and everything that we've been dealing with. And, you know, you have to go to the theater to see these movies and all of this stuff and what, yeah. what isn't, isn't appropriate, so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. There are a million mm-hmm. different directions mm-hmm. that they could have taken the film going experience, yeah. which is mm-hmm. usually at the heart of this. And yet, I digress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, Gail and Sydney are doing a podcast. They're there in a go. podcast booth. You don't know who the engineer is. The engineer is <laughs> um, doing a true crime. Okay, podcast. okay. And, and I'm just so I'm just going to put this. I'll put this out there, and then we can get the spoilers. Which is that 
a lot of people, not just Jeff, have complained about how terrible the ending of this movie is. And I'm just going to go on record and saying, I have found very few of the Scream movies to have satisfying reveals for the whodunit. As like, far as Scream sequels go, it, it is on par. Maybe you know? like yeah. one, uh, maybe one or two out of the Scream movies. I've mm-hmm. been like, I've gotten to the end and yeah. been like, wow, that was a satisfying Scream ending. Scream like, 4 had a really good had mo- a really Yeah, most, good most yeah. of the Scream endings are bad, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. like, for me, this one was like, oh, this is just, uh, right, you know. This is yeah. par for the course it's of like, I didn't expect bad. anything more. I didn't expect anything more. Now, I, I will agree with you that <laughs> so many the original Scream was great because it's like we're, co- we're, we're commenting on the nature of horror movies. We're revitalizing the slasher genre. We're having smart characters and so on. Um, and yeah, this movie doesn't quite live up to those standards, but it is a, it's well-made, solid slasher flick, and it's kind of in the Scream template. Mm-hmm. In a way that I found to be uh, personally pleasing, but yeah, hey, um, I understand if you're like if you're if you're comparing it to Scream One, you're like uh, this movie is a pale shadowing imitation, a shambling <laughs> version of its former self's corpse, and uh, I understand that. But I'm also yeah, like, yeah. hey, if we're gonna have Scream movies in our lives, you know, this one wasn't yeah. a bad one to have in my opinion. <laughs> I, so. I mean, it's yes, it is. Uh, it's a yeah. burger you get on the sidewalk compared to a steak. You know, like <laughs> something like you still eat it. it yeah, still fills it's, you up. Still, still, can still be fills good. you up. Still can be good. Um, one thing I, I want to say, like I, watching this movie, I did have a feeling like um, it's uh, it? Radio Silence is the group that did this movie. Um, you know, the co-directors did Ready or Not. Um, yeah, that's why certain people are in this movie too. That's kind of fun. Um, I'm getting a feeling of like younger, um, or at least up and coming horror directors. They always feel like they have seen a lot of horror, right? They have the good kills. They have the good set pieces in mind. And I really do miss the days of like a quest, a Wes Craven where it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to scare you, but I'm also going to like, you know, really dive into the psychology of these characters. And that's, what's always been really interesting about, didn't he actually have a background in psychology? I he did. Too. Like, but he that's did. Nightmare on Elm Street. That's Scream. That's Red Eye. Um, Red Eye, great movie. I need to get that 4K. But I just feel like we are seeing movies of people who are like, I, I really like movies. Here's another movie of a thing I liked, you know, rather than stretching that, and giving us something. That, okay, I mean, that said, I think this movie does really bring some great kills. I think there are some really great gory kills. It's one of the gorier Scream movies. Yes, I and, did ask uh, for that, I think. And if, if that's what you're looking for, I think you're going to get yeah. it. Okay, anyway, I, let's... I, I would like yeah. to sum up Dave's review... As, uh, you know, as Scream movies go, <laughs> this is one. This, as, of, 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 of all the Scream movies I have seen, this is one of them. This, this is one of the highest number. This is one of them. <laughs> this is one of them. Okay, let's do spoilers for this movie starting right now. I've thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Wow, if you're listening to our audio version, we just heard the new... Spoiler bumper, new new spoiler bumper happened here on the podcast. People world premiere, like, world yeah. premiere of the spoiler bumper. Uh, wh- why? Actually, why is? Doesn't matter which version you're listening to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, why is there a new spoiler bumper? Well, sometimes, folks, it's time. To, you know, uh, we like to change things up on the podcast, continually reinvent ourselves once every ten years or so, and um, 
You know, it, it felt time. It felt time to try out some new things. So, uh, new spoiler bumper from Noah Ross. Hope you guys enjoyed it. It may continue to evolve over time, but wanted to let people know that's what's going on, and uh, it'll be uh, part of our show for the foreseeable future. So, thank you, Noah big, Ross. Big thanks to Noah for, for for crafting that for us. Really appreciate it. Okay, so spoilers for Scream Six. Let's talk about it. I want to say I really enjoyed the beginning of this movie. Yeah, uh, I clapped when I saw Samara Weaving. I was like, yeah, okay. Samara Weaving was there, mm-hmm. but also like it's... literally the very first shot mm-hmm. of the movie opens with a phone ringing and somebody picks it up and they're at a restaurant and you realize it has nothing to do with the plot. And yep. I thought that was a, like, a nice little clever, it's... you know. The, 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 the cold opens to the Scream movies have become my favorite part. Well, I mean, I think they always were my favorite part of screen movies. <laughs> but, I mean, from the very first movie. But I like how what they've evolved into is this dialogue with the audience of trying to subvert expectations. It's it's a it's a big, I know that you know mm-hmm. that I know that you know. It, yes. <laughs> it, it's very playful. You yeah. know that a phone is supposed to ring. You know there's going to be an interaction on the phone. You know somebody's going to die. It's always trying to trick you into thinking you think you know and then trying to subvert that expectation and i thought this movie did it in a really mm-hmm. clever way at a certain point it's like I, I i can imagine the screenwriter for subsequent scream films is always thinking to ourselves what haven't we done in that cold <laughs> open you know like we've, done, we've literally stepped through like 14 people what, which scream was it where they like stepped through different all these different people and it, i mean that was four yeah, yeah, so smart. I love that one. But um, anyway, I thought this one was great. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and and I love. And then obviously, uh, Samara Weaving, love her. But then uh, she's killed off. And then what? The person who what? killed her is then killed off immediately. What? Tony Rivalori? What? Well, like the Grand Budapest? Guy? Even just, <laughs> even just the fact that they actually showed who the killer was right off the. Yeah. Like yeah. That kind yes. of set up this really interesting potential, and then they did nothing with it. Yeah, yeah. and no, like that's right. that's you're like right. a throwaway. I, I feel it like this first scene also encapsulates a lot yeah. of the problems too, right? Because that whole we're spending yeah. a couple minutes with Samara weaving in in the restaurant, having this like really this cute conversation with this guy. Um, he's like, uh, yeah, come outside to to help find me. So I'm like, I don't. You've never that, met this guy yeah, before. You no. really? really? You're going <laughs> well, to continue, walk, you're gonna continue the walking to this alley. into the alley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Keep, keep walking. It, uh-huh. Is, uh-huh. it is so painfully unrealistic. Yes. Which is like, <laughs> let's be honest, it's a screen yeah. movie. It's not yeah. exactly going for like stark realism here. But at the same time, all of the characters in in the screen movies have always been rooted in some yes. level of reality. Yes. They are grounded in some believability. Samara Weaving's character how is is actually kind of insulting because like she's literally a professor of this subject matter <laughs> and yeah. they even had to include it as a line like oh you dumb bitch like shouldn't you have known what this was gonna be and nah, 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 nah. like and like really like seriously this is what you're choosing to do with this you you didn't think to maybe have it so that she catches on and is yeah. like no this has been fun but uh, maybe we'll meet up another time and they're like and you play with that. Like, play with the intellect of the character. Play with the intelligence of the character. That's always what Craven used to do. That's always what um, Williamson did with his scripts. This does none of that. It treats all of the characters like they're idiots, and, like, the audience is dumb for liking it. 
Yeah. And it's so effective. Yeah, no, I will. Yeah. But go ahead, all, Jeff. You, all yeah. well said. Very, very well said. And I do agree <laughs> that would have been superior. Uh, and I, I uh, you know, applaud your articulation of that because I think it's absolutely spot on. I just had enough fun with the second level, second layer. Yes. Uh, you know, after you think, oh, that was kind of dumb the whole time i was right there with you going like hey lady hey lady you know but um but but, uh but the the moment the mask comes up and you go oh we've just seen a scream kill and we've just been revealed and now the scream killer is the one getting the phone call i thought that yeah that playing with the audience was was worth that's a fun it's a fun idea but i agree with ariel that it it doesn't really go anywhere. Like I was like, oh, yeah. it's gonna be because remember when I think it was Scream Four that was like it had the multiple beginnings. Is that the one that yep. had the multiple beginnings? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. but it, it it felt like oh, this is gonna bring in some meta commentary on how you know revealing the killer is gonna be a big deal. Like this is like Poker Face style where they show you who the killer is in the first minute, <laughs> and there's some subversion of the trope in that way. Nope, it's just. It's just another killer. It's killers all the way. It's Ghostface all the way down, basically. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for you meddling kids. It's literally like yeah. pulling off mask in a Scooby-Doo mystery. <laughs> on, that, on that note, like, I do want uh, Sorry, go ahead, Ariel. Go ahead. Yeah. What I was going to say is, it, bouncing off of something that you said, David, is that it's like it's an interesting idea. It's, an, it's a neat concept. That's all it is. They yes. don't yeah, have yeah, exactly. any yeah. substance behind any of it. All, like... This entire movie, it feels like a novel concept built on a novel concept built on, on a novel concept. It's not actually a story. Yeah. Like even, even in part three, and I will always come back to part three because it's, it's of the original four, we'll say. <laughs> it was the, like of, of all the ones by Williamson and or yes. Graven. As, Widely as regarded as the worst um, out of that set. Yes, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Right? And and yet at the same time, like what makes it weak is the fact that it doesn't answer the it's why is very, very flimsy. So like, why are we here? Why is this happening? It's a stretch. It's a little flimsily assembled. It's kind of, you know, haphazard. It doesn't Mm -hmm. flow quite as well. The first one, the why is so strong. Why are we there? Because Sydney's mom had an affair and these misogynistic pricks killed her and da 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 and all this stuff happens. Like you you have a hard framework to base your plot off of. And then there is psychology that comes in off of that. There's character progression. There's all of this development that makes sense. The second one, same thing. And like the, the second one is actually part of what made me so mad about this one was because it was <laughs> Billy's mom. And then in this instance, we get Dermot Mulroney playing a father whose son was a killer like Billy who was killed. And instead of coming after them himself, he decided to throw his other kids in harm's way. (laughs) Like that's not, no, he's pissed because his child died. He's not going to use his kids as pawns in a very dangerous lethal fucking game that's not nothing is nothing about that makes sense it feels like they want to have fun right like you can tell the radio silence guys have these great set pieces in mind they want to have fun but it's the work the doing the yeah. work to get there always feels like it's a little shorthand i mean um, yeah. i i, I so, first of all i feel bad you know what i was about to say before ariel unleashed that very articulate <laughs> description of the movies was boy guys doesn't the new ghost face mask look cool 
<laughs> I'm like, Dave. You yes. mask look good. And then she Ariel's <laughs> <laughs> like the psychology of the movies is so there's a continuum along which yes. they exist. And I'm just like, new mask good. Um, I don't have no bar anymore, yes. Dave. Uh, not since Milf Island has your bar been lower as to what you enjoy watching. Okay, Milf Island is a fictional show. Milf Manor is what you're thinking of, John. Uh, no, sorry, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, but okay. You'll, for, I, I, you'll forgive me for not having that canonically correct in my mind. I continue to maintain that. You know, most of the screams are pretty unrealistic in terms of like, oh, the same group of people just happen to encounter psychopathic killers who are good at murdering lots of people. Sure, sure. It's like, okay, what? No, so the, 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 the point is that I think the this is kind of the point that Ariel was making is that <laughs> there has been a there has been a reason as to why the same people have been yeah. at the center of yeah. this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, we get this weird like use your superpower of being the daughter of a serial killer for I good. Hate it. Oh my God. Yes. It's so bad, yeah. right? It's so bad. Ariel, Ariel, what are your, th- you, Ariel's having a lot of feelings about it right now. What, what are uh, your thoughts? It's so bad. I, okay. So we spent an entire franchise dealing with a daughter's inability to escape the sins of the mother and the idea of, you know, her constantly being punished for this and then punished for being a survivor of it in the fourth one. And yes, it was a bit of a stretch when we got to the third movie. And, you know, like you guys were saying, you know, we had uh, the first villain made sense. It was Billy and Stu because he needed a a hand. And then you have the mother and some random film nerd and whatever. And then you get the brother and it's like, okay, we're getting a bit of a stretch here. But then by the time you get to the fourth one, it starts kind of, turning things on its head and uh, instead of just being this, and I say just with air quotes, but instead of it just being, you know, the sins of the mother, it's the sins of the survivor. And you get that interesting narrative and dynamic that's coming in. This is after all of that, after all of that framework and groundwork set where Sydney is being punished. She is literally being punished for what her mother did endlessly ad nauseum now we get a main character who is a redemptive arc for the killer in the first movie who keeps coming back why do we keep seeing skeet Ulrich? why is he there yeah, like this is this, this isn't necessary i can't like, i can't defend it the, i can't defend no, it i mean i mean no also like why why does he you know what's hilarious about skeet Ulrich is he has aged, but he's wearing the same clothes in the first movie. <laughs> but he's, but they de-aged him. Yeah. yeah, they did de-age him. No, no, well, he, I, I think he's meant to look older. I feel like they de-aged nope. him in the last movie, but not in this one. He looks like yeah, normal. No, they did. Okay, all right, well. I guess Ariel can tell, okay? <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to think he's older, Dave. I think okay, that's, okay. Well, that's yeah. that was just me then. That, that yeah. was bad de-aging then in my opinion. But it, but it, it does it would, feel like we have this superhero... Mm-hmm. Who's who is sort of the you know venom or uh, mm-hmm. you know yeah. the, yeah. the 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 antihero who has the evil is using the evil in them for good right she's got the superpower which is I can also be a serial killer but I'm only going to kill the- yeah <laughs> it's right? not a superpower but it would be an interesting twist like if they kept going with this like 
a Dexter type of thing where she, she is like the vigilante, like, you know, actually helping people that the cops can't find. But uh, who, who knows? Then it's not a screen movie. It's something else. But that's right. but that's also yeah. the thing. Like, yeah, that would be really interesting. But she's not a vigilante who's hunting mm-hmm. people who are hunting other people. She's just mm-hmm. trying to stay alive. She's trying yeah. to protect yeah, herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, but in order to validate her as a character, in order to give her any level of substance, they have had to give her um some some semblance of her father she doesn't exist without billy without Mm -hmm. billy she is not a character and Mm. so you've created this like and it's it's a latina character who has mental health issues and like that is a huge amount of representation and yet you've made her entire existence dependent on the villain of the first movie who we've not paid attention to at all since the first movie and who doesn't need to be an issue anymore like take it somewhere else make it you know like even in the first one i remember well first one in the fifth one i remember after seeing it i'm like it should have been tara tara should have been the killer and she was she faked her own attack in order to get her sister to come back as like an act of vengeance because she was so Mm -hmm. hateful towards her sister for ruining their family that makes sense that makes sense. But just to have like, oh, no, we're just random film nerds on Reddit. Like, isn't that super meta? No. Yeah. That's not meta. It's, that's it's just weird. Like, uh, uh, all you're of taking the... a Reddit thread and putting it on film, and that's not clever. Yeah, all of the – I think all of the uh, film commentary stuff in this movie is so tired and mm-hmm. uninteresting. And it's sad because, as you pointed out, uh, Ariel, that's some of the f- most fun stuff in this franchise is – how it's kind of commenting on movies in general. And this notion of like, oh, we're in a legacy sequel, sequel. So all bets are off. It's just none of that whole monologue is, doesn't make sense. And <sighs> I think there was an opportunity there to get to something about, I mean, I don't know what, but they seem to be setting up something about like film memorabilia and, yeah. The collector thing with the with this big room, but n- none of it is is yeah. is followed through on at all. It, it, the the no. collection of all of the stuff is just like, oh, wouldn't that look cool as an end place to have our big fight, rather than actually saying something about any of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, you have that like really interesting concepts and these nifty ideas, but there's no there's nothing behind it. Yeah, I mean. Right. Speaking of nifty ideas, I thought it was cool that the idea that the guy from the last movie had like made these sweeted home movies of of stab basically, <laughs> and like that's what you were seeing projected on the screen is, is what I could tell. Um, yep. <laughs> if you're not watching the video version, like, Ariel is reacting with disgust to what I've just said. I, well, I just um, it's, it's just perplexed and flames on the side of my face. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I think I would agree that there is a missed opportunity to comment on how like uh, on how uh, obsessives people who are like obsessed with films and and mm-hmm. in the fan culture like how that can be like really toxic in some way and can lead to like violent and dangerous tendencies perhaps or I don't know I don't know you know there's there's probably some area to explore that wasn't explored <laughs> there, there's um, something there yeah we haven't talked about Kirby at all guys. Kirby's Kirby. back oh in the movie. Oh my god! I I'm <laughs> okay. so mad. I'm triggering Ariel like left and right right now. Ariel, <laughs> what did you think of Kirby's return to the Scream franchise? 
oh my god, I wanted so much more for her. Why? Mm-hmm. Why was the? Why was she? She wasn't like oh god. There's feelings and thoughts, and again, flames on the side of my face. Um, <laughs> but okay. So yeah, we would have to take this like step by step and I'd be like, here's what's wrong with this one. Okay. Um, It's just Kirby was so good. She's such a great character in four. And it's not because she's a chick who happens to also be a film nerd who knows her shit about horror. It's because she's a well thought out, well written character. She has substance behind her. There's, there's, there's motivation behind the character. You know why she's there and you understand why she's doing things. And more importantly, and this is not something that you can say about pretty much any of the new characters, you mm-hmm. care about her. You give a shit. Because these new characters, you don't care about them. And somehow they made me not care about Kirby. And I'm angry about that. Yeah. Because I care about Kirby. I I care very much about Kirby. When we, I, we have been know, asking I, for justice for Kirby for a decade now, and uh, yeah. we got it, sort of. And you had, um, oh my god, you had this opportunity, and she became a federal agent. Like, really? <laughs> That's where you're going with this? That's well, what? You know, she saw Silence like, of the okay. Lambs and was like, I, that, I can't, "That looks good." I can't believe yeah. I need to. Yeah, defend... I'm going to be Clarice Starling. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to say. First of all, it's clever because in Scream 4, Kirby theoretically was killed, but you never mm-hmm. see what happens to her ultimately. So it's like, what mm-hmm. actually happened to Kirby? Uh, we find out in this movie that she was alive the whole time, although she died for a few minutes, and then um, was uh, then you know grew older and then became an FBI agent. Now, I can actually understand if you were that traumatized and almost killed, you might want to dedicate your life towards stopping monstrous sure. psychopaths like this. And sure. I and for me, I'm just going to say the the main sister relationship in the movie worked like I actually thought there was enough there between Tara and Sam for this to feel like hey this feels like representative of what siblings can mm-hmm. argue over and and yeah it's a little bit cheesy of like you have to let me go and she's talking about literally letting her go to stab that guy in the face but yeah. also letting her go in terms of her possessiveness over her sister um, you know and that's just like classic <laughs> Movie action Man, standing if, in for if you character development. Build that out for me, Dave. I don't know how. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I think the part where Jenna Ortega looks up and says, "You have to let me go," was a big wink, clue, wink, Jeff. and she winked and she pointed at the knife <laughs> and then drew a line the knife movie, to the guy's head. If, yeah. If only the movie had had some way to get through that impenetrable theme that is obscured by all of the nuance and. Uh, it's so true. It's so true. You're, you're right. I mean, you're right. So it could have done more. a better job of it. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Ariel. Oh. Go ahead, Ariel. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just I, I was just saying, oh, yeah, so much nuance. So the Kirby <laughs> thing, the Kirby thing feels like what's what really kind of hurts this movie and maybe what uh what radio silence is doing overall like i just i don't think they they're trying to understand these characters it's like oh people want kirby back that's cool that's fun we can play with kirby we could dress her up in fbi clothes and bring her back and the fans will be happy and it feels like a lot of that again and again like i don't i don't really get these characters like who who is tara you know like who is she as a person other than somebody who uh, sam is always trying to save and is annoyed that sam is trying to save her like i don't understand who these people are or why we should care about them that much. Even though I want this representation here, it just feels like they don't quite know what to do with these characters. And when this movie tries to even like touch psychology, like there is an actual scene in a psychologist's office, a psychiatrist's office played by Henry Zerny. 
which makes no absolute sense. <laughs> makes no goddamn sense. Like Sam opens up to, he's like, open up to me, Sam. Sam opens up to him. He's and like, Oh no, not like that. She didn't, she didn't say anything <laughs> threatening. She didn't say she was going to go kill somebody. He was like, no, no, no. I got to call the cops on you now for no reason. And kicks her out. Look, I don't if you had it. lived the life that yeah, Kittredge lived in the, in the IMF, <laughs> You would also be wary of serial killers, yeah, okay? That's true. all I'm saying. <laughs> true. Um, anyway, okay, fair, fair, fair enough, fair enough. I, I have tried, yeah, yeah, not not my best, but a little to defend the movie. <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> I, can, I can say good things. I think those individual set pieces. What you got to turn off your brain. You got to turn off your brain enough to be like, what that this guy sure is go, hopping around a bodega for a while with a shotgun before the cops appear in New York City, um, or. This subway, um, sure, he's losing lights a lot, except that never happens in an actual train car because this is in 1971. That drove me nuts. Oh, yeah. man. Um, <laughs> but you could set it up. You set it up a really cool sequence where the lights go on and off and he's coming closer and closer, but it makes no sense. It's kind of cool, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, to, to quote from Tom, to paraphrase Tom Cruise in Collateral, you know, uh, guy dies on a subway, no one notices. Yeah. And uh, that, that is, that is, it does play. I like how that scene played with the if terror it, of this idea of like, you could yeah, get stabbed yeah, to death yeah. on a subway and no one would know about it. If it held for the 10 con- seconds, 10 seconds of just like, and the movie even like kind of does is there's somebody sitting next to her on the chair mm-hmm. as she's being stabbed. There are people all around her who don't notice, but we barely get any time to kind of register that because the movie has to keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ar- Ariel, go ahead. It, you, you didn't like the subway was- sequence? <laughs> No, I, <laughs> the subway, I like the concept of the sequence. Again, you've got these mm-hmm. neat ideas and that's it. They haven't, it's like, wouldn't it be cool if we saw the killer's face at the very beginning of the movie? Yeah, totally. Wouldn't it be cool if we had this sequence on a train and he's like getting closer to you and like it happens in public? Yeah, that would be super cool. Wouldn't it be cool if we had this collector thing and for some reason we used a lot of set elements from Saw? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> but like, it. That's all it is. It's just this piecing together. Stab, of, I think, is of... what you mean, right? Stab. Mm-hmm. You said saw. No, just saw. That. Yeah, oh, there okay. are some like elements. A saw setup. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There right. are some some set elements inside that. Um, yeah. Like in the theater. Yeah. That like the gate looks like the gate from uh, Saw Two. Oh, I see. I see and... the the uh, the the structure itself. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah, actual yeah. physical. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But like it's it. I mean even. The, we have characters that we don't give a shit about and they're being attacked viciously and the viciousness and the gore and the brutality winds up not mattering because it's happening to characters we don't give a shit about. It's like Halloween five. Like, why are we, nobody, get, nobody cares. Nobody cares. And yet we're here and like, you know, you have to yeah. watch all of these kids being killed and like, yeah, I'm getting I'm so like again flames right. on the side of my face. That's just going to be my slogan for this. Yeah, but like yeah. we have the Meeks kids, the Meeks twins, mm-hmm. and that makes me absolutely insane. Why couldn't they just be their own characters? They didn't need to be connected to Randy in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. In the fifth movie, we did not need them to be legacy characters, and now we have to like stick with them and the core four, which is cheesy to a point that it's useless and and gail like gail is a frat like a a figment of her former self there's there's barely the only point where we get some of gail in like actual like the character in this movie is when she puts him on hold (laughs) i thought that i thought that sequence that was my favorite sequence of the whole movie is when we just have courtney cox defending herself yeah in her home and her 
her nameless uh, hot ass boyfriend just eats it for no reason. Like we don't know anything about him. Doesn't care. Uh, but uh, I thought that whole sequence was was my favorite in the movie, and I'm like, oh, oh, I get it because I actually have some connection to this character, and I care yeah. about who they are from all these other movies. And she's doing cool stuff, and I thought I thought that was great. Um, I I also have a, an issue with. And, and I know this is a genre trope and I should get over it because it's about suspension of disbelief. But when when your big reveal is that a character that could have easily killed you many, many times <laughs> instead decided to dress up in a costume <laughs> and chase you around with a knife, for what to what end? There's it wouldn't count. It, it wouldn't count. You know? It wouldn't count. But but it wouldn't but count. The, that's the thing it wouldn't count as death. But yeah. that's the thing that doesn't make any sense anymore in these movies. Like, there's a point when these movies are about a reverence for the theatricality, when these movies are about a killer who's obsessed with scary movies and creating mm-hmm. a scary movie aesthetic in their in the real world, then I go, oh, that makes sense. They're they're doing it to right. achieve something that is important to them. But literally, the only thing we get is a dad who wants revenge and could have easily gotten it numerous times, but Mm -hmm. instead decides to have all of this crazy costuming Mm -hmm. and and chasing around with a knife for no reason whatsoever. And recruiting his other kids, too. And and faking his daughter's death. Faking his daughter's death. Also, where did that body come from? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, where did the body come from? It doesn't matter. Mentions, I had to swap out a body, and that's it. He just pulled a fresh one out of the morgue, basically. He yada, yada, yadas that away, which is pretty great. But but my point is, like, who is being fooled in that moment? The audience. That Mm. is the only people that are being fooled by the faking of the death. It is only there to fool an audience. No one in the context of the movie. It... It is so much effort to do something that gains him nothing. It, it gains nothing except to fool the people watching. Yeah, the, yeah. Why, why is Ghostface hanging out in his daughter's room menacingly? You know, like yes, what? He, he's not. I mean, she knows who he like. She's in on the plan. There's no <laughs> sense of that as you're watching the hot, the hot guy from across the street trying to like get their attention. Yeah. And sense. on that and on that note, mm-hmm. why do we have the hot guy from across the street? I mean, I get it that we need like yeah. some kind of a red herring, but like if yeah. you're going to make a really half-assed attempt at, you know, it's the it's the new boyfriend because you already did that in the previous movie. Do you, do you have to? Can you just leave that one off? Just just leave that leave that at home. We don't need it. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, well, yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I can't even remember. I, 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 I <laughs> yeah. had, there was. Yeah. Well, here, let, I wanted, let, let, me put it, let me put this out there. You know, 80% of the time on this podcast, it's, it's the other guys um, defending something and I'm taking a crap on it. So it's weird to me. This is a very weird dynamic for me, but here's one <laughs> thing that, here's one thing that did annoy me about the movie is there is this scene where Chad is, you know, the Mason Gooding character is stabbed like approximately 50 times. Shot um, really well. It looks really cool. Yeah, you know? and it's then super and, cool. and then it's and like, I, oh wow, I can't believe they killed this he's guy. Dead. He's that guy. He did. He did. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then, he, no, it's okay. He's alive at the nope. end. No, nobody's like, dead. His his <laughs> sister is stabbed twice in the gut. Is running after him at the end of the movie, doing cartwheels into the ambulance. 
totally recovered. <laughs> to be Nobody to be fair, to be done. fair, this yeah. is a this is this is a franchise that has often brought people back from certain death. Sure. You know, many times like Dewey Cox was like uh, not Dewey Cox, Dewey the cop. Not Dewey Cox from Walk Hard. Um, Dewey, Dewey was, uh, you know, was Riley. almost killed Dewey in the Riley. first. He was almost killed in the first movie, and it's yeah. like he came back in the second. So this this franchise has often done that, but like with the Chad killing particularly, I was like, they're not playing fair with that. Like he was stabbed. So he was clearly meant to be like completely wiped out. There's no way anyone could survive that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one Listen, did annoy me. So that's this entire yeah. movie, though. His sister, I thought, was wiped out. Is Gail dead? Guys, it seems no, like Gail was saying. No, nobody died. Dead. Nobody of consequence they, actually <laughs> died in this movie. Yeah, they did the inverse of they did the inverse of what they did in uh, part two with Randy, and instead yeah. of taking beloved characters off the off the list, they literally just killed people no one gives a shit about, like the new girlfriend and mm-hmm. the daughter who didn't actually the the roommate who didn't actually die, and like very few other people. But then you've got the I don't know. It's a whole. But thing. the bummer is but, they they want to have it both ways, right? Yes. They want you to yes. have the yeah. moment where you think all the, the core four are going down, uh, all the core four are getting picked off, and even Courtney Cox gets stabbed. You know she, you know, and we, oh man, we watched uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs> <laughs> We watched we watched Walking poor John C. Riley last face. last yeah. installment, yeah. <laughs> uh, and now we're gonna see uh, the the last of the legacy characters get it. No, no, just erase that at the end. Uh, yeah. It's 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 a little bit um having pretty, pretty irritating it too. Pretty irritating, that, but yeah. anyway. When when Mindy gets stabbed, she gets stabbed, and he, yes. he like lifts. He's deep, like deep eviscerating yeah. her. Yeah. And like that's fine. I'm I I like the character. I think she has room to grow. I think they've done absolutely nothing with her, and they could. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done nothing with her brother, <laughs> and they could. Um, so I'm happy they're alive, but I'm kind of upset yeah. about it because I'm not. Time, I'm not like mad that she anything. survived. I'm more annoyed that she literally pops up out of nowhere at the end. Like, guys, I'm fine. Those, those gut wounds, those like six inch deep gut wounds, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. I'm gonna run after this ambulance right now. Yeah. Like well, when 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 Dewey Cox gets stabbed multiple times, <laughs> never letting that go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even it, when he's being carted off in the ambulance, he's not like happy go lucky running around. He's like, oh thank God I'm fucking alive. Oh great, but he's like, he looks worse for wear. He's not just yeah like doing cartwheels into an ambulance <laughs> like Mindy is. But the whole thing here is that they keep trying to connect it back to Woodsboro instead of realizing that Woodsboro never mattered. Woodsboro was never the, the main focus. Woodsboro was just the setting. The, the main purpose of this was Sydney and, mm-hmm. uh, and Billy kind of trying to avenge his family and get back at you know, Sydney and her mother for having ruined his life, presumably. So that's the core of why this happened. And then they got fixated on Sydney, which granted it worked. And they kept coming up with very good reasons. Why are we back here? Why are we looking at this? They came up with good reasons. They were able to answer that and they were able to incorporate it into the fabric of what horror is and what horror meant at the time means for the day. It's, they're looking, they're grasping at straws here. There is no reason for this to connect to Woodsboro. It, part five, you need to connect. 
parallel. It could have taken place literally anywhere. It didn't need to connect to Billy Loomis. That was just an excuse to have uh, Skeet Ulrich in it. it. If you actually ask, why is this here? There are very few answers to those questions because very little of it actually needs to be there. It's just an excuse to flex some muscles as like, look at how referential we can be. Mm-hmm. Look at, you know, this is, here's why we deserve to make a screen movie because we've seen and love X, Y, Z. We know this movie, what that happened. We know how this happened here and da, 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 da. It feels like a flex more than an exercise in filmmaking. And that's such a shame because these guys have done really good work before. Like, re- Ready or Not was, wait, Ready or Not? Am I yes, remembering correctly? Ready or Not, yeah. My yeah. Brain. Awesome, awesome movie, awesome movie. Awesome movie. Brutally violent, but all of the violence is kind of just set dressing on top of a well-written script with a great story, characters you give a shit about, or characters you are very eager to watch die. And yet, they didn't do that here. It's like they're it's like they're haunted by the concept of Woodsboro and they don't mm. know how to move beyond it because you don't need Woodsboro, which is proven, but again, emulating Jason takes a boat ride is a really weird flex. Um, but they don't need Woodsboro. They don't need any of the legacy characters. Gail didn't need to be there. She pops in randomly, but she's the host of like a major daytime morning show. Like, Mm-hmm. Why the fuck she is she here? She learns has... that she repeats herself from Scream 2. She doesn't learn anything because she writes the book and they hate her, even though they were friends. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. And yeah. like you had this beautiful wrapping up of the character in five, even though you treated the character like shit in five and like didn't really let her sing. But here we are. And yet you've put her back on her bullshit. Like it just doesn't make sense. It's actually really fitting in that sense that they did kind mm-hmm. of riff a lot on Jason Takes Manhattan. Because Jason Takes Manhattan was also terrible, but Jason Takes Manhattan is funny and it's entertaining. <laughs> and it became kind of a cult phenomenon. This isn't that. And it's like they're trying to create that out of nothing. And that's not mm-hmm. how it works. Well, I think we can wrap it up there, Ariel. We'll give you the last word on screen <laughs> six. No, it's cool. Um, but here's the thing, guys. At the end of the day, despite literally everything we have just said over the course of the last hour, it is still pretty impressive that the directors, Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Taylor, uh, Tyler Gillett, made a movie. And apparently mm-hmm. made a movie in about one year. Uh, yeah, between, under a year. <laughs> between Something. when they you know started shooting it and then now it's out in theaters and it is the number one movie at the box office this weekend. Um, there, I think one of the best openings for the franchise in general. So mm-hmm. uh, there will be more screen movies in the future, whether we are ready or not. <laughs> see what I did there? See what I did there? Okay, anyway. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast.com. Errol Fisher, so grateful for you joining us today. Where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, if, follow me on socials. I'm at <laughs> AFIS8 on all socials, and you can find my stuff there. I have uh, an authory account. I'm kind of in flux at the moment, but I do have a website that's just arielfisher.com, so you can also find things there. 
definitely recommend checking out Ariel's work. Um, a, a big shout out to our theme song creator, Tim McEwen, uh, who's from The Midnight and also Varsity Blue. Noah Ross, who wrote our weekly plugs music and also our spoiler bumper for this week. This episode was edited by me, David Chen, and also the video versions of this podcast are brought to you courtesy of Kurt Mega and John Barry. Uh, next week on the podcast, it's going to be Shazam! The Fury of the Gods. And with with any luck, <laughs> some really exciting After Dark stuff for you next week as well that I'm not going to say what it is. But I am going to kind of jinx it by saying it's going to be pretty awesome is my guess. Uh, but yeah, Shazam! Fury of the Gods should be a lot of fun to talk about that movie uh, next week. Directed by David Sandberg. Uh, I really enjoyed Shazam! 1. It had some uh, some great personality, but also some really interesting horror elements because of David Sandberg's pedigree. So... Uh, look forward to our review of Shazam Fear of the Gods here on the Filmcast. Until next week, we'll see you later. Later.